Hey there, welcome to another edition of the Live Wire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank. Uh, this week, we are going to talk about getting away from it all, um, which I know is not really an option for a lot of us at this very moment, but we can dream. That's allowed. Uh, in the next hour, we're going to take a road trip with the co-creator and star of the TV show, Broad City, Abby Jacobson. Uh, she wrote a book about driving from New York to L.A. to get over a bad breakup. We're also going to hear from writer Nicole Chung about her journey to find out more about the birth parents who'd given her up for adoption. And then we're going to do a little musical time traveling with the Seattle soul revivalist group, The Dip. So fasten your seatbelt, put your phone in airplane mode, unless that's how you're listening to the show, then just, just do whatever you need to do. Uh, we're going to be taking off shortly for the Livewire House Party, which gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? It's going pretty well. How, how are you this week? Well, it's dead week here in university what does that land. Mean? It means that all of the students' final projects are coming in or will be coming in. So there's a lot of last minute emergency academic coaching happening. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Uh, you're a professor. Sort of. Uh, also known as the Professorello. That's right. I was a humble college student. Mm -hmm. Do you as a professor believe any of the excuses that we give you about why these assignments might need to be turned in a little bit late? I have a policy that is don't worry about believing anything. You know, just like... Like the Journey song. Just don't, don't stop worry worrying about, about believing. believing. That's right. I just kind of am like, you know what? If you need time, I, you know, I'm a creative writing teacher. So if you want to make up a story, that's that's great practice. <laughs> uh, and and I'm just, especially during the pandemic, I'm just like extensions are fine. Extra time is fine. I let it all ride. That's such a cool approach. The idea that the the fictional excuse is part of the fiction writing class, really, if you think about it. I mean, I'm technically a nonfiction teacher, but... Oh, well, that's kind of different. But than never let the truth get in the way of a good story <laughs> applies to all genres, I think. So yeah, I give, I give our creative writers the extensions that they need. <laughs> nice. Speaking of good stories, should we do this uh, radio show? Hey, why the heck not? Molly, are we rolling? We're rolling. All right. Elena, take it away. From PRX, 
it's Livewire! Recorded from our actual houses, welcome to the Livewire House Party! This week, with the star and co-creator of Broad City, Abby Jacobson, writer Nicole Chung, and music from The Dip. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, the host of Livewire, Lou. Uh, thank you so much, Elena. Thank you, everybody out there in listener land. I can hear people, uh, students going to the Oregon State University class list for next semester, Elena, and trying to figure out which classes Professor Passarello is teaching. I don't want to call anybody out, but a few Livewire listeners have uh, tried to audit my class, and then they find out the amount of work that's involved, and they drop it. <laughs> Because I teach online, so you can you can take you can oh, wow. ostensibly register to take the class, and a couple of people have been like, "Love Livewire, let's take this class," and then they just like ghost because it's not nearly as fun. <laughs> Meanwhile, I've been offering my online blues guitar class for years, and we've had zero Livewire listeners sign up for that. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know if the responses to our listener question this week are from some of those Livewire listeners who signed up and then dropped your class, but <laughs> each week we like to put a question out there. And get the answers to those questions. This week, uh, we asked folks, what is the first trip you want to take when it is safe to do so? Mm-hmm. We're going to get to some of those answers in a minute. First, though, Elena, uh, where would you go? Were that something that was free and easy to do? I've been thinking really deeply about this. Um, and every single place, I can't decide on one, but every single place has one thing in common. I would love to go into the desert like Joshua Tree and rent uh-huh. a house with no one around. And I would love to go like to the beach like in like Malibu or Santa Barbara and rent like a cabin with like no one around. Or I would like to go to one of those hotels in like Bora Bora where it's just like one room over water and there's just like no one around. But- like, isn't the whole problem that right now no one is around other than your partner, David? I think that's, you know, because he and I are talking about travel and he wants to go to a big city where he can walk and see people. And, and I I am surprised at how the pandemic has not changed my interest in very remote vacations. I, mm. I, I don't know what that says about me, but I just, I really want, I want even less. Mm. Maybe it's the leaf blowers. <laughs> Maybe it's not. Yeah, we know you've been on a, this whole fall, you've been on a, on a concentrated campaign against the leaf blowers of Corvallis, Oregon. Yes, I'm and, not winning. And maybe it's finally broken you. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'm going in kind of the opposite direction. This is, seems like a weird answer, um, but I would love to go to a state fair. Mm. Like, and, and I'm not just saying this because we're on in Minnesota, but mm. I was at the Minnesota State Fair a couple of summers ago and it was incredible. Oh, yeah. Like, that's not, by the way, a place that I naturally sort of fantasize about going, a state fair. Mm. But the idea of just being next to a bunch of other folks mm-hmm. and having this kind of cool mix of people from the country and people from the city and a lot of like very calorically dense food mm. being eaten while for some reason there's a butter princess being carved mm-hmm. uh, and then they also want to sell you a hot tub yes. in a different pavilion. that. Weird energy of a state fair just seems really fun to me right now. Yeah. And I think it has to do with just the humanity around it. I'm really missing being around people. That's because you're a good person, I think. No, it's not. I can pro- <laughs> Many people will attest that it is not because I am a good person. Do you know what I love about state and county fairs? Huh. Uh, the 4-H tent. 
where yes. there's lots of animal judging and, and kids doing like getting badges. And I don't know if it's like this in the Minnesota State Fair, but at my local county fair, they have an animal costume contest. And the other year, somebody dressed up um, a bunny as like a czarist dictator with like a little like fuzzy hat and a mustache that went up and down when the bunny wiggled its mouth. (laughs) And once I saw a guinea pig who was in a bed of tinfoil with like little red felt squares on top of him and he was a baked potato. (laughs) Oh, wow. That one-ups the thing I was going to mention, which is that the 4-H club at the Minnesota State Fair, they have a musical that they put on. Oh, wow. The the, the kids that are in 4-H, it's not a musical about farm life. There's just a musical that if you're in 4-H, you can also be a part of. And it's like a pretty big production. Like Guys and Dolls or something. Yes. Yeah. But put on by, by, by kids who are part of 4-H. So, uh, so you enjoy Bora Bora, uh, by yourself and I'll, I'll enjoy a Bemidji uh, with a bunch of other people eating corn dogs (laughs) or whatever. Um, what's the, uh, live wire audience saying uh, is a place they want to go when that kind of thing is sort of allowed again. Oh, we have a plethora of exciting options. Um, here is one from Kathy. Kathy wants to go to, quote, San Diego to visit my elderly mom, but she wants to do it by way of U.S. Highway 1 all along the coast. Oh, a beautiful, beautiful drive. Yeah. through the If you're going from the Pacific Northwest, you get to hit the Redwoods and Marin County and a million other amazing places on the way down. I like that. I like that drive because I'm very bad with directions, <laughs> but I know that if the ocean is on my right, I'm going south. Hmm? And if it's on my left, I'm going north. And even I can keep that kind of stuff straight in my little mind's GPS. <laughs> What's another one? Uh, here's one from Carolyn. Carolyn wants to go to, quote, Lapland. For the purity of untouched vistas by human hands, caribou, raptors, muskox, and any other animal that graces me with an appearance. Sounds like somebody else who's ready to be not around people. I know. I kind of want to add Lapland to my list, but what if I bump into Carolyn? You know? Right. Like, <laughs> you'll both be, you'll be staying at the one Airbnb That's right. in that part of the world. <laughs> Uh, this is the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank. That is Elena Passarello. Let's welcome our first guest over to the festivities. And, and speaking of journeys, she embarked on one uh, some years ago when she decided that she wanted to find out more about the birth parents uh, who'd given her up for adoption. And this story took twists and, and turns that she could never have imagined. It's all detailed in this very personal and very fascinating debut book called All You Can Ever Know. Uh, take a listen to this. It's our chat with Nicole Chung. We recorded this back in 2018 at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. Nicole, hi. Welcome to Livewire. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Um, uh, you, uh, you actually grew up around here. I did. Uh, I grew up, I spent the first 18 years of my life in Oregon. So always great to come back to my home state. Although in, in reading uh, your book, uh, about your childhood where you were uh, adopted, your, your parents, your birth parents gave you up for adoption, uh, right after you were born, you were adopted by a family. Uh, you lived here in Oregon and you're, uh, you're Korean American. How many people like you did you see growing up as a kid? 
Oh my gosh, like so few. Did um, you really have a game called Count the Count Asian? Count the Asian. First of all, I'm not the only Asian to play this game. We all kind of play it, mostly when we watch TV and movies. Um, <laughs> it's, it's becoming more fun lately. Um, but yeah, growing up, I would. I would keep like this running tally of like every Asian American I saw. Um, you know, I'd be like, oh, the people who own the Minute Market, the people who like work at the Chinese restaurant. And I could sometimes go years without seeing someone who was like brand new to me. And I didn't actually know any other Korean Americans, like not any that I was close to. Uh, that must have been like really hard to to not see many other people like yourself. And I mean, how, what kind of effect does that have on a kid growing up? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think first of all, it was the only thing I knew, so I, I definitely noticed. Like I always noticed. Uh, oh, I'm the only one in this room, or the only one in this school, or the only one in this church. But at the same time, it was it was kind of normal, um, and I didn't necessarily think about it all the time. I was just constantly like aware of it. Uh, it took really, I think, growing up and leaving home and like leaving Oregon, and I've lived in like very diverse pockets um, of the East Coast ever since. Uh, and so, I think it just took time for me to experience something different before I could even start to think about. Like maybe some of the harm done by those in that environment and some of the scars that I still carried as a result. Um, when you were an adult and then you were pregnant with your own child, you decided that you wanted to really try to find out what the story was with your birth family, your birth parents, and and then what you what you ended up finding out was that you uh, you had two sisters. You had a sister and a half sister. Mm -hmm. Your birth parents were both alive, but there was something sort of profoundly troubling about what the story that was being told about you was. I think so. So, so much of the book is really about this foundational story that I was told, like how very simple and comforting it was. Your birth parents came here from Korea and they didn't think they could give you the life you deserved. And so really adoption was the best choice or the only choice. And I really carried this legend with me for so many years, this idea of like these loving, selfless people um, who loved me so much they had to give me up. And you can see why it was a comforting story and why my parents told it to me. I think we all kind of wanted to believe it was true. Um, and I should say, like, there's a degree of truth in it. What I wasn't expecting to find necessarily was just the deep traumas and some of the hard things that I found within my birth family, you know, that had nothing to do with my adoption. Um, and we often don't talk about adoption in terms of, like, the birth family and what their experiences are. And, you know, even though I thought about these people all the time, like, had been curious about them my whole life, I didn't have, like, the framework to think about them, like, as individuals or think about what they had gone through. So much of the focus was on, like, me and my family and, like, our happy ending. Um, Did that feel like a ton of pressure for you or, or as a kid or even as a, as, a, as a young adult to make this narrative really positive for you and positive for your adoptive parents? Because, of course, their heart's in the right place. Oh, of course. And I was very loved. And I think, um, you know, I did encounter, like, real real racism, like where I grew up. And at the same time, there were just a lot of people who were very curious about adoption. So we'd get these questions like at the grocery store or like wherever, like, where'd they get you? Like, how much did you cost? <laughs> but the thing is, I really did, I really did feel that pressure that you mentioned to like paint this idyllic picture for people and make them think like that my family was normal, that I was happy and well-adjusted and grateful and all the things I thought I was supposed to be. Um, so yeah, I definitely did feel that, that pressure growing up and it is probably one thing that kept me from interrogating my story for as long as I, I did. This is Livewire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Uh, we are playing a conversation we recorded back in 2018 with the writer Nicole Chung. We've got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because we will be back with much, much more. Hey, Elena. 
Hey, Luke, I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm-hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we... We are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, And, Elena, uh, one more thing that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're mm-hmm. here to talk about is you keeping Livewire going. So head on over to livewireradio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to Livewire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh, my, there's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com slash livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use livewire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Welcome back to the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank at my house. Lena Passarello is at her place. And we are playing a conversation that we recorded in 2018 with the writer Nicole Chung talking about her memoir, All You Can Ever Know. Take a listen to this from the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland. I, I, I don't want to give away too much of the book, but I feel like I can't really talk about the book with you without addressing this one thing, which was that basically you found out that your birth family, your parents told your siblings and presumably other people that you had died. That's true. They did. What does that do to a person to find that information out? Well, when I think about that and that, I mean, that lie and uh, like how they told it and how long they maintained it. You know, as shocking as it was for me to find out that, um, you know, for instance, my sisters had never been told the truth about me. Like, think about how much more shocking it was for them. Um, I was working with very little information. Like, you knew you had been alive. Like, you knew you didn't die. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. So for you, this was, you know, Well, I also had, I had a lifetime's worth of practice 
talking about adoption and like what it was and what it meant. And maybe we didn't always talk about it like with all the nuance that we should. And we never really talked about race in my adoptive family. But I knew how to talk about adoption. I knew what it was. And like my sisters didn't, you know, my, my birth family as a whole, I don't think that they had that same culture of either openness or discussion about it. So when they find out about me, like imagine their shock. Yeah. You're dealing with a lot of complicated emotions and you're you're, you've recently had a baby and you're this, this whole part of your life is, is both opening up to you, but also you're finding out a lot of complicated news. But yeah, for them, there is a sister who they were told did not survive being in the hospital as a kid. I mean, it must've been a pretty big shock. Absolutely. It was a very big shock. And I remember feeling so guilty for this. Like, I mean, they were very kind and they didn't blame me, but I remember thinking like, what if they hate me? I've upended their whole lives. Everything they thought was true about their family. Like, and we all have things about our family that we have to fight to come to terms with, right? But you think at a certain age in your life, you'd kind of have it figured out. You've got all the pieces, like, sorted. And then to be thrown something like this, like, out of left field. I it's remember, like from a soap opera. I mean, that's a lot. It was like a, a Korean drama. I remember thinking, yeah. <laughs> like, my life has become a K-drama. Like, oh, my God. Um, but, I mean, this experience of, of tell. I mean, okay, yeah. so you lived this, then you wrote about it. But right. now you're experiencing it again in a weirdly public way. Like, what's that feel like? Well, in a way, of course, it's really overwhelming. Um, a lot of my life, uh, at least as related to my adoption, is out there now. In another way, it's actually really great because I've been hearing from like a lot of adoptees like every day since the book was published. I get emails and I get messages. And for a lot of them, it's the first time they've seen anything like their story in literature. Um, and that's been very meaningful. But I've also heard from a lot of people who have no tie to adoption whatsoever. They say, like, maybe um, I related to this part of your story. Like, I didn't know one of my parents. Or there's an estrangement in my family. Or there are these things, my family, we just don't talk about. And I don't know why. And I want to talk about them. And no one else does. That means a lot to me, too. I think we tell stories for that feeling of community, that sense of you're not alone. One of my favorite things about being a writer is that moment when you share something or read something and you are not alone anymore. Yeah. And I just think that's so powerful. Yeah, we're talking to Nicole Chung. Her memoir is All You Can Ever Know. Um, if I didn't mention it at some point, I think it, it's, it's worth mentioning that your adoptive parents were white, so you were part of a transracial adoption. In fact, the book starts with you being sat down by some, some people you knew who were asking you basically, hey, you went through this, how was it for you? And of course, that launches you on this whole journey of asking how was it for me? So, I mean, what is your opinion on the matter? Because I think everybody has the right intentions, but it's obviously very complicated. Well, one of the things I talk about in the book is that growing up, I did feel a great deal of pressure, um, both because I love my family and because um, people who weren't as familiar with adoption would ask me these questions about it. I really did feel like this unofficial spokesperson, and I guess I kind of have all my life. I got to a point finally, and it happened around the time I decided to search for my birth family, where I just felt like it was time to lay down that burden of being like the good adoptee, the happy, grateful little girl who doesn't get to grow up and question and think about like her own origin story. Um, but I, I don't really feel like negatively about adoption at all or transracial adoption. I think sometimes people want me to sort of take a firm stance like pro or con. I really don't think of it in terms of good or bad. I think about it like when I think about people adopting, I, I want to ask like, are you going into this realistically or unrealistically, like with your eyes open or not? What I, would be a realistic way to go into this? I think if you're going into a transracial adoption, the best thing to do is really ask yourself some tough questions. So are, are you able to ask yourself like, of course you're going to love the child. Like that's a given. That's a start. But like, 
love and good intentions will only take you so far. Like, are you going to be able to do not just kind of the fun stuff, like cultural celebration? Uh, everybody's going to go and learn about like, you know, art and dance and, and music and food from the child's birth culture. That's wonderful. But like, are you really able to sit and have those like hard conversations about race? Like we live in a white supremacist society. You're raising a child of color. You know, what will you do? What will you say? Can you really walk with that child in every experience they're going to have, positive and negative? Um, and these are things every parent has to ask themselves, like to be clear. Um, so, you know, I don't think any of us are exempt from that work. But if you're going to adopt across racial lines, like you really do have to think about that. How do you be a child's first, closest, best ally, given the kind of society that we live in? Yeah. Nicole Chung, everyone. The book is all you can ever know. Thanks, Nicole, for coming on Livewire. That was Nicole Chung, recorded back in 2018 at the Alberta Rose Theater, right here on Livewire Radio. This is the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank with Elena Passarella. Here's an update on Nicole. Uh, she is working on her next book. She also has a gig as the columnist for the Care and Feeding Advice Column, which is Slate's oh, cool. parenting advice column. And maybe most importantly, Elena, you were saying she got a new pet? Yes, I follow her. Since the show, I've been following her on social media, and she got the teeniest, cutest, most central casting golden retriever puppy I have ever seen. And uh, every day I, I need like my daily dose of her name is Peggy of Peggy puppy <laughs> photos. It's giving me life. <laughs> yeah, but I got to tell Nicole, that's a dangerous game because what she will soon realize is the posts that involve the cute dog will get so much more interaction than anything else she does. And then she'll be trapped like me in a spiral of only getting attention when I put my dog Rudy mm. in various tweets oh, and posts. And so, and like now, I mean, nobody cares about about the Luke Burbank. They just really want that Rudy Burbank experience. So, you're just the man who takes the photos. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, special thanks this episode to Amy Vanderzanden and Paul Beck of Seattle, Washington. Amy and Paul are part of the Livewire member community who generously support our show with a donation each month. It is incredibly vital to us being able to do this program week in and week out. So we really thank them for that support. Thanks so much to Amy and Paul. This is the Livewire House Party from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank with Elena Passarello. As we uh, do each week, we ask the Livewire listeners a question uh, in this sort of, I don't know, aspirational or vicarious category. We asked, where's the first trip you want to take when it's safe to do so? Mm -hmm. uh, what are the listeners uh, responding to that with? Here's one from Chad. London, exclamation point. I am missing the UK so much that I listen to the BBC just to hear the accents. <laughs> ah. In the very early days of me hosting this show, one of the stations we were on was in a hospital in the UK, I believe in Reading, England. Really? 
Yeah. Huh. And it was just that one place. Like, I don't even think we were on a radio station. Somehow they were just playing us in this one hospital <gasps> Whoa. in the United Kingdom. And I would never miss a chance to wedge that in as one of our, uh, you know, bona fides. Um, <laughs> and I don't even know if we're on there anymore, but I'm still bragging about it. Um, <laughs> all right. What's another place that one of our listeners wants to go when we're allowed to do that stuff? Well, Mark wants to go to Woodland and San Mateo, California, because, quote, I bought tickets last January before COVID hit the nation. And now according to the airlines, my tickets are worth more than I initially paid for them. <laughs> wow. So he sort of bought low? Yeah, he uh, he invested. Yeah. I have like three credits at three different airlines. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> like They have expiration dates. And I think, you know, the airlines keep bumping them forward. But uh, yeah, I got to I got to get going. Right. I know. There's nothing worse than like when you when you you've built up some kind of cred somewhere and you don't get a chance to actually use it. It's like more painful oh, than yeah. any other kind of, you know, expenditure. Yeah. All right, one more. All right, how about this one from Mo? Mo says, "Where I want to go when it's safe to travel? Buffalo, New York. I'd be okay if it's not safe to do it until May, though." <laughs> You want to know what is surprising about that answer? The thought of Buffalo, New York had also occurred to me as my answer. You were going to shuffle off to Buffalo? Two reasons. One, there's this amazing place not that far from Buffalo called Chautauqua. Oh, yeah. uh, Which is this just amazing community Mm -hmm. where you have, you know, artists come and lecture and people, some people live there full time. Some people live there in the summers. It's just this like incredible world of ideas and thoughts and family life. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also Buffalo has this thing called beef on weck. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. I'm always talking about how I don't really eat meat. If I decided to slip up, though, it might be for some beef, for on, beef weck. on weck. Huh. So um, good. There's an Elvis movie about Chautauqua. <laughs> it's set at Chautauqua? It's, uh, well, it uses the, you know, Chautauqua used to be sort of like a traveling gig. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And uh, he, it's a, a traveling Chautauqua troupe. Uh, uh-huh. And he's a member of the troupe. It's just terrible. It's one of the worst. <laughs> it's just awful. <laughs> Can I tell you my favorite Buffalo story was I was in Buffalo. I went to the place where Buffalo hot wings were uh, apparently invented. I believe it's called Pete's Anchor Bar. Mm-hmm. I went in. I wanted to watch the Seattle Mariners baseball game, the team that I, I like. And they said, oh, we don't have that game here, but you can get it at the Buffalo Wild Wings at the mall. <laughs> the place that invented hot wings sent me to the mall chain because they had more of the baseball games. On TV. Well, I mean, you know, baseballers got a baseball. You got to make it happen. Indeed. Uh, this is Livewire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Um, let's uh, keep this party going. Uh, and who better? to help us with that than our next guest. She is the co-creator and co-star of the TV show Broad City. Um, And a couple of years ago, she hit the road on like a solo road trip from New York to L.A. to get over a bad breakup and kind of try to calm her life down. Things were very hectic with, you know, running a TV show, basically. Um, On this trip across the country, she got her aura read. Uh, She stared at the ceiling of a lot of hotel rooms during (laughs) sleepless nights and also uh, ended up uh, writing a New York Times best-selling book about it uh, titled I Might Regret This. Just mentioned I, I've been apparently doing the heartbreak thing wrong. Elena, there is a good buck in it, as Abby Jacobson mm. knows. I mean, you might as well. I mean, everything is content, right? Uh, let's take a listen to this. It's our chat that we recorded back in 2018 with Abby Jacobson uh, from the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon.
Abby Jacobson, welcome to Livewire. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, before you even started this road trip, uh, you you made a list of sort of worst case scenarios. Uh, you were worried about just terrible things that might happen. Like, what were you concerned would happen? What would have been the one of the worst things that could happen driving by yourself from New York to LA? That I would be like murdered. <laughs> Right? That's kind of at the top. Be up there. Yeah. yeah. How about below murder? Heinous things happening to me. Um, yeah, I, I, below that, I think it would be me getting very lost and having to like hike out of something. Right? You, you Those wrote, are like obvious You wrote about like a variety of kind of crazy scenarios. One of them was, I think, where you, you just go to this bar in the desert and you fall in love with the bartender oh, and you yeah, just yeah. live your life out in this kind of weird... <laughs> Way that you didn't expect, but it feels right. Uh, yeah, I started a new life uh, in the middle of nowhere. One of them was because I, I pitched this book before I went um, to force myself to take a vacation. Wait, wait, wait. I was going to ask you about the process of creating the book. Yeah. It wasn't like you went on the road trip and then thought, oh, I'm having a lot of interesting observations. I should make a book. You knew you were going to do the book? Yeah. I write about this, the fact that I'm a workaholic, very much so. And we had been shooting um, season four of Broad City, and we were editing, okay, cool. And we were editing, and I was just very depressed, and I was very heartbroken at the time, and the show was this incredible distraction. Um, but I was still just like a mess of a person, and I saw this break coming in the near future after we were done editing. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, uh, the distraction's going to be over. I'm going to only have an opportunity to think about this stuff that makes me feel bad. I'm going to go and sell a book to force myself to go on a quote, in quote, unquote, uh, vacation, which was this road trip. So I didn't know exactly what I was going to write about, but I knew I was going to go on the road trip. So one of the worst case scenarios was that no one would buy the book. Were and you then, really afraid that that would happen? That I no mean, one would buy it? Yeah, Broad City is a huge hit. You've done all kinds of cool stuff. You have many, many fans. You thought no one was going to buy the book? I have never written uh, in this format before. I have a couple books out, but they're illustrated books. Um, I had been wanting to challenge myself by... Uh, writing essays for a long time, and I just like felt the need to do this. I don't know. I I was and am still very nervous about um, this. The book is so good. Thanks. It's really funny Thank and you. really like I can identify with so many of the thoughts that you're having in the book as a fellow successful female TV creator. <laughs> uh, no, the book is really, it was a real delight to read. Oh, so, that's awesome. I mean, Thank you. I can just tell you from my perspective, I think it's going to be really popular. I think you did a great job on it. Did you keep notes along the way? Because one of the things I love about the book is the thoughts that you're having are very much like the kind of thoughts most of us have while we're driving or lying in a hotel room trying to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. Yours are better and funnier than most of ours. Like your interior voice is more funny than most people's interior voice, thank God. But like, were you writing those things down as you're driving? Like, don't have good snacks because then you'll eat all of them. Or like, how are you holding on to everything to make this <laughs> That's book? That's a chapter. That's like a legit chapter. <laughs> Um, because I was feeling pressure of like, oh, when I get to LA, I was driving from New York to LA. When I get there, I'm going to begin this process. So I was very observant of myself along the way, even though my intention was to get space and to, you know, to try and process all this new stuff in my life. And, um, 
I mean, I took notes. I had a journal. I took a lot of photos. I didn't write any of the essays on the road. So you were able to actually have the experience too. Like you weren't the whole time cogitating on the creation of this book. No, I got to LA in August and I basically wrote the book August to August. Now you uh, are not a great sleeper. No. And in fact, you write in, in great detail about like sort of minute by minute trying to fall asleep in various hotel rooms. Um, have you tried to just lying perfectly still and telling yourself you can't? Because I have the same problem at times. And I will lie perfectly still and I will, my body will be like, you gotta move your ankle, dude. And I'll be like, no. Like, don't just stay. Yeah. Yeah, there's three essays, that I call them sleep studies in different cities <laughs> along the way. And I was finding um, patterns in my thought. And because I'm staying in a hotel, there is like the TV's light that, there's a red light that's like, tells you it's off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I can tell that the TV is off. I know that much. I don't need the red light to be like, oh, uh, yep, it is off. But when you're trying to go to sleep, you are like that alarm clock, and then there's like a sliver of the curtain, and then there's the hallway door, and it is like, along this road trip, and I mean, this happened to me last night, I was like, the TV light is like a spotlight on my bed. I was like, this is craziness. And so a lot of it was like, don't let that light bother you. That light doesn't bother you. And then it's like, I can go to sleep with the stupid light. And then it's like, no, I can't. Um, I can't. And I have to like cover everything. And so that's part of it. Um, I tried all the stuff. I tried like melatonin. I tried Unisom. None of that worked. Did you try unicycling? No. Okay, no. The shame of that will put you gotta, right to sleep. Yep. Just the attempt. Yes. Just like kind of having it leaning against Just the looking wall. at it. You want to That's be menaced. That's something I never, ever need to try. By the way, we are talking to Abby Jacobson uh, from Broad City and uh, Disenchantment. Uh, let's talk about that. This is a show that's on Netflix. It's uh, created by Matt Groening. You're the voice of the princess. Is, uh, like one of the more relatable princesses for me in that she has a drinking problem. Yes, she does. Um, I assume you grew up watching The Simpsons. I did. So that must have been crazy to suddenly work with a bunch of the people who make The Simpsons. Yeah, it's still nuts. Uh, I don't even go, I don't get offered stuff, and I don't audition very often, because I'm mostly doing Broad City. A big part of of this book is about how you are not really engaged with the Hollywood media industrial complex. Yeah. And and how that will always keep you somewhat outside of the mainstream, I And guess. I like it, but I'm also clearly like, don't know. I'm not getting those auditions. Anyway, I did get this audition, and but it was one of those... I got an email from an agent. They're like, you know, record yourself on your phone, and it's hilarious. They're like, go into a closet yep. and record yourself with a blanket over your head so it's clear. Let me just say, this is how you cast a radio commercial for a tire service, not a national company, a one place in Marfa, Texas that fixes your tire, not a Netflix show that will be seen by thousands of people. It's amazing. That was the audition process. Yeah. So I didn't go into the closet. I sat on my sofa with like a blanket over me and I'm like recording into my phone and you have to have the, the piece of paper 
or like, and I think I had my laptop so I could read the script, but it's just to audition. It's not how they, rec- I don't record it that way. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that makes more sense. Yeah, I bought like a new blanket uh, for the show. It's really nice. Um, the whole like cast signs blend. the blanket. Yeah. Um, um, no, so oh I I, re- I did the audition and I was like, I'm not going to get this like most other auditions. And then I forgot about it. And then they were like, you got it. And I was like, shut up. What? <laughs> um, and then I've been recording it for two years now. So it's pretty much a dream job. I want to ask you about one thing, uh, your days of doing improv and, and meeting Alana and, and the different improv uh, groups you would perform with. And you kept talking about uh, operating using the top of your intelligence. What does that mean? It's, a, it's one of the, the rules you're taught, at least I was taught at the Upright Citizens Brigade in New York, and it's all the rules you're taught are very applicable to everyday life. It's like uh, yes and. So if you're talking with someone, you should add to it as well, like agree and add. And using the top of your t- intelligence in improv, it's kind of like don't take the easy way. Like there's a very easy joke or there's one that's actually thoughtful and really using all of your knowledge to enhance the scene rather than coming out and farting. There's a way of farting intelligently. Uh, operating at the top there's of your fart intelligence. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, you write in the book about the creation of the show Broad City, and I... It's just such a great read because I love the image of you and Alana Glazer sitting on the floor in a Barnes and Noble, which you had picked because it was basically equidistant between out of your two works or two apartments. Yeah, like it was the end of the night. We were both leaving work and we're like, let's meet in this midtown Barnes and Noble. Yeah. So you're sitting on the floor and you're trying to come up with a name for this thing that you're going to do, which at that time had like no real funding. You're just kind of making it happen. Um, what do you think it is about the show that has so resonated with people? I think it's what made me actually feel like this was a different, uh, this felt different than anything else I had tried before. Why this specific dynamic between Alana and I felt like it had the legs, whereas everything I was trying in, in the comedy world just felt like it wasn't working out. It was just this thing that clicked between us. Um, it's so rare that people actually have a relationship before they start working together, acting together. But it is so based on our actual relationship. Even when I watch it, which sounds so crazy, but I have to watch it so much in the edit. Under can, a blanket. Yeah, under it, Everything is under a blanket when I'm not on stage. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I have to kind of detach myself, even though I'm looking at my face all day. And um, it even resonates with me, like, oh, this friendship makes me happy. We just finished two weeks ago shooting the last scene. I don't know if I will ever be in a situation that felt like that. I mean, we've been doing the show for 10 years. I feel very lucky, and that's such a rare creative thing to get to work in that way with, with your best friend. Well, it just seems like that would have been so emotional, and I it, wouldn't it have been was. able to... Um, we had never... I mean, the show always has, has attempted to be funny first. We, I think as we've gotten older and as the world has become more of a hellscape, um, 
we have decided to comment on Were you more. kind of like cycling through possible other things like dumpster fire, nightmare Hellscape land? is always sort of like on the tip of my tongue sure. right now. these days. So, you know, we were kind of commenting on political things more abstractly before. And then like as we just got older and we these things were more on our minds and in our lives and affecting us more or just we were aware of it affecting us more. We started commenting on it more, but um, we've never had an end to write to. So this season, when we were writing, it was very, it was a very different experience. Uh, easier in a way, because there is an end point. And then um, it's very emotional. Did you have like a last season list of things that you want? You know, like the last day you're at the beach and you're like, well, I got to go get, you know, ice cream and I got to make sure I go in the ocean. Did you have like a list of like the broad but city? But waiting a half hour before you do. <laughs> no, but on the last day, you don't wait, right? Because wow. it's the last. So right. you, the, I'm assuming the broad city version of that list was pretty exciting. It was mostly locations oh. in New York that we wanted to. Oh, so I'll, I'll say one. It's not like a spoiler. Um, we have been wanting to shoot on the Brooklyn Bridge mm. since season one. Very difficult. Do they have to shut the Brooklyn Bridge down? No, they don't. Um, <laughs> and we learned that the very difficult way um, by being yelled at <laughs> for an entire day. Also, also, I'm sorry. You guys don't live in New York, but I just have to say, if you're riding your bike... Across the Brooklyn Bridge, <laughs> you. <laughs> there, it's not for. It's not like for that. It is a walking bridge. It's wooden planks too. You're like, dun, 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 dun. you know, like <laughs> go on the Manhattan Bridge. Every biker was so angry at everyone. I was just like, guys, you guys need to like one go to therapy. Two, I don't know. It was quite an experience. It's what we wanted and, and finally got, and then it was so intense shooting up there. If you want just a quick, I guess you could say, kind of a quick survey of your popularity with this crowd, Abby Jacobson, no one has ever said something anti-cyclist on this show and lived. <laughs> like, yeah. we usually have to, There's like a team, a security team, swings and kicks in the windows and gets them out of here. Because I think they knew I wasn't bad. I'm not bashing cyclists. I'm like pro. I'm like, there's a better bridge for you guys. <laughs> you, well, like you, I wouldn't want to go over it on the planks. But <laughs> Manhattan has a whole side for, for, for bikes. You guys got to know about that. Yeah. Right? If any of you... <laughs> Go to New York, and you're trying to ride from the city to Brooklyn, Manhattan Bridge. Okay? And I know they go to different areas, but it's not that far away from each other. That is Abby Jacobson right here on Livewire. That was Abby Jacobson on Livewire back in 2018 talking about her book, I Might Regret This. Uh, an update on what Abby has been up to. She co-created a reboot of A League of Their Own based like on the film. Oh my God, Rockford Peaches. 
That's right. She's one of the stars. There's no crying in baseball, although I often cry about baseball games just out of frustration. Especially if you're at a Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> right? Mm. I wanted to be at the other place. Uh, and the pilot of this uh, TV version of A League of Their Own was just ordered by Amazon, so this is apparently going to be a series. Hooray! A League of Their Own, the Amazon version, so everybody keep an eye out for that. Uh, you're listening to Livewire from PRX. we got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. They make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to the Livewire House Party from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We're kind of taking some imaginary trips in our minds this week because mm-hmm. that's, you know, probably the safest way to do it <laughs> <laughs> during this current moment uh, of, of, of the world. Uh, and our musical guests this week are going to kind of take us on a, like a journey back in time. Uh, they are a seven-piece ensemble uh, that melds rhythm and blues and 60s-era soul. And if that is not enough to pique your interest, uh, here's another dazzling detail. Their horn section is known as the Honey Nut Horns. Ooh. <laughs> Which, like, <laughs> I will listen to any band that has a, a, a horn section Thank and you. B, one that's called the Honey Nut Horns. Yeah. <laughs> uh, check this out. This is The Dip right here on Livewire Radio, recorded at the Alberta Rose Theater back in 2018. <laughs>
inside of you Carry on It's too much for one person Oh, to hold on to Yeah Recorded back in 2018 in front of a raucous crowd at the Alberta Rose Theater. Uh, by the way, they have a new instrumental EP out if you need to sort of pump up the jam at your respective home. While your feet are quarantine. stomping. Indeed, Technotronic style. Oh, this one would technically be the dip style. But yeah, <laughs> uh, do check out their new instrumental EP. All right, uh, we are almost done here. But before we wrap the show up, of course, we like to give a little preview of next week's Program. We're going to be talking to Ijeoma Aluo. Um, she is the writer of this incredible book. It's a New York Times bestseller called So You Want to Talk About Race. Uh, and uh, she has a new book out. It's called Mediocre, The Dangerous Legacy of White Male America. Uh, we are going to talk about that book with Ijeoma. Also, uh, New Yorker writer and historian Jill Lepore will be checking in to talk about her latest book, which is If Then, How the Simulmatics Corporation Invented the Future. So uh, do not miss next week's show. It's going to be a dandy. Also, we want to get your answers to our listener question, which is where our friend and social media manager, Ariana Donneville, comes in. Hi, Ariana. Hello, hello. Um, have you been up to any interesting projects in the last week? Yes, I just got invited to my best friend, a.k.a. the other um, part of Whiskin Things, her family bake off. And <gasps> what? Yes, we're doing okay. gingerbread houses. Oh. So I think this will be my biggest project of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> now, what are your aspirations for this house? Is this going to be like a McMansion? Is this going to be a tiny you know, house? What's the vibe? We've been talking about it. I can't share all the details because she okay. listens to the show. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I did build out my blueprint for it. It's not going to be your average house. Oh my gosh. I'm excited. <laughs> Will you put up some pictures on the Livewire social when it's done? I mean, if this thing had yes. blueprints, I would like to see <laughs> yeah. what the finished product is. Um, yes. Okay. What, what is the a question for the listeners this coming week? The question is, tell us about a small wish you have for the future. Okay. My wish is that your gingerbread house wins. Amen. The competition. And then you mail some of it to us so we could eat I it. I know. <laughs> Seriously. Um, how should people send in their responses about a small wish that they have for the future? 
Listeners can submit their answers on our social channels. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Livewire Radio, as well as on Facebook. Okay, so uh, please, everybody, do send in your answers uh, and, uh, and and just keep a place in your heart uh, for Ariana and her big <laughs> gingerbread project. Go, We're all Ari, sending go. positive vibes. <laughs> all right, that's going to do it for our show this week. Uh, a huge thanks to our guests, Abby Jacobson, Nicole Chung, and The Dip. Also, special thanks this week to Amanda Bullock and the Portland Book Festival. Laura Hatton is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. And Ariana Donaville is our marketing associate. Caitlin Kunkel is our writer. Our house band is Jonathan Newsom, Ethan Fox Tucker, and A. Walker Spring, who also composed our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director, and she mixed this episode. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission, a state agency funded by the state of Oregon, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff this week. We would like to thank member Catherine Henneke Butler of Portland, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can catch our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.